Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to Chumba ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to Underground USA. Welcome back to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. Be sure to check everything we do out at undergroundusa.com. Sign up for the Telegram group that gets headlines every day and breaking news. And sign up for the weekly mail out so you can see some of the more in-depth reporting that we do. My girlfriend, CJ, who happens to be the owner of of our primary sponsor, the Emerald Coast Tea Company. If you haven't tried it, try some. I think it's going to surprise you. She looked at me and told me that I had to listen to a podcast. Being a smart man, I, of course, said that I would, and I did. CJ is a medically retired nurse who, during her time in the business, explored holistic and herbal remedies for her patients, ones that pharmaceuticals weren't working for anymore. After she was forced to retire... She found a litany of remedies that helped her with her ailments as well. Since then, she has helped many people using herbs and holistics. I always thought she was an anomaly, a person deeply into holistic medicine and herbology, who not only sees the brilliance of the U.S. Constitution, but who also believes in the American dream and the freedoms and liberties that our unique American experiment affords us, or at least those of us who count ourselves lucky to be Americans. I always thought that those knee-deep in herbology and holistics were predominantly of the leftist mindset. My introduction to the podcast she asked me to listen to would set me straight, and I'm glad she asked me to listen to it. Judson Carroll is the host of the Southern Appalachian Herbs Podcast, a program that has a correlating blog as well. He is the author of a few books on herbs and plants and how they play into self-sufficiency, among other things. After listening to his show, and especially episode number 52, I knew I had to introduce Mr. Carroll to the listeners of Underground USA. His show is not only informative and entertaining, but it's also choke full of information you can use immediately in your everyday life. It also serves as a bold reminder of what America once was and what it can be once more. Judson Carroll and I talk right after this. Handcrafted exotic blend teas at the lowest shipping cost anywhere. Hi, I'm CJ. 
owner of the Emerald Coast Tea Company. We ship our premium gourmet blends with Sindel, offering you the lowest shipping prices anywhere, while also being carbon neutral. Excellent tea at the right price. Check us out at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. Welcome back to Underground USA. I'm joined now by Judson Carroll. Uh, he is the host and the mastermind behind the Southern Appalachian Herbs. That's a it's a podcast. It's a blog. It's a he's got books out. Uh, you can I listen to him on iHeartRadio, but you can hear him just about anywhere uh, that Spreaker syndicates, and that's a large list of places. Um, his blog is uh, southernappalachianherbs.blogspot.com, and he's got uh, he's got some books that I want to ask him about. The third book, uh, real quick, after I mentioned the first two, uh, herbal medicine for preppers, homesteaders, and the permaculture people. Uh, and this another book is the medicinal trees of the American South, an herbalist guide. My girlfriend CJ has both has all three of his books, by the way. Uh, the third one, the sages and heroes of the American revolution, including the signers of the declaration of independence. Am I to believe Judson that, uh, that the, the main author of that book is a relation to yours? Um, I am not sure. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely not my book. Uh, my first book was the, uh, herbs and weeds of father Johann Kunzel. Um, but that is a fantastic book. I believe that's actually um, someone related to the uh, chancellor of Christendom University, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, his carols are a little more closely related to Charles Carroll of Maryland than mine are. Ours were cousins somewhere back there, and his were a little closer cousins somewhere back there, I believe. But yes, I highly recommend that book. Okay. Now, when you go to... Uh when you look at dig into uh judgson stuff um he says that his mission is to make herbal medicine available and useful to regular people in everyday life and uh the more you listen to the podcast and i'm impressed with all the podcasts there's a little bit of history there's a lot of usefulness there's things you can actually um jump into and and see it and feel it and touch it and taste it that day because the things that you talk about are all around us. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into being a professional herbalist, which is what you are. And, um, and as we walk through the conversation, I'm absolutely sure that our listeners are going to say, I've got to bookmark that podcast. Um, how, how did you get started? Well, uh, it's really, um, you know, I don't believe anything happens by chance. I believe everything comes together at the right time and we have to be ready and willing to take advantage of that moment, you know, serendipity. Uh, I was about 15 years old and um, I was, we'd recently moved back to the mountains of North Carolina. I was born in the mountains of North Carolina. After my parents divorced, uh, my mother and I moved down to the coast of North Carolina, actually the coastal swamps, I should say, inland. Uh, about an hour inland. And that's where my family lived since the, I don't know, late 1600s, early 1700s. And so I grew up on a lot of old family farms. I mean, in that area, like every town is named after 
one of my family names, you know. <laughs> so uh, my great grandfather uh, served in World War One. Uh, he was French. He made his own bacon and his own sausage and his own, you know, charcuterie. And I mean, just really fantastic homestead foods. But there's always a, a lot of wild food and, um, you know, hunting and fishing and all that and going to the coast and getting seafood. Which, you know, it's oyster season now and I'm thrilled. I got to go do that. Uh, but when we went up the mountains, uh, there was a whole new environment that I hadn't really been familiar with since I was about five. And I went out in the woods and I just started learning about wild mushrooms. I love mushrooms. And I started collecting mushrooms, using the field guides, learning to use a field guide. That's a big learning curve, really, if you don't have formal training on that. And one day, uh, my mother says to me, I met this man working at the dump site. Uh, You know, it's a little place where you take your trash before it goes to the main dump. You have to meet him. His family is the family of the jacktails. Now, the jacktails are old Scots-Irish folktales that were preserved and kind of rediscovered in the 60s and 70s. And he's, she's like, his family's in the Smithsonian University. You really got to go meet him. I mean, Smithsonian Institute. And I said, yeah, I, absolutely. I love the Jacktails. And I went and here's Arvel Hicks. His real name was Orville, but everybody pronounced it Arvel. Big, strapping mountain man. And he's, we just got along great, you know, talking about food and hunting and, and living off the land because his family had really grown up very rural. I mean, way backwoods. And they lived off what was wild around them. And he says, you have to meet my um, uncle. I guess he said it's actually a double second cousin, um, Ray Hicks. Now, Ray was a famous storyteller. His wife, Rosie, was an herbalist. And they made their living mostly until Ray became famous as a storyteller by going out in the woods and harvesting herbs, ginseng, golden seal, etc., and selling it to the Wilcox company that was based out of Asheville and had an office there in Boone, North Carolina. And I went up there to a over 200 year old cabin with no indoor plumbing, one electric light bulb, two wood stoves, one for heat, one for cooking and found the most peaceful, idyllic place I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I started learning storytelling from uh, Ray and Arbel. I started learning herbs from Rosie that was Ray's wife and their son, Ted, would take me out into the yard and into the woods and show me how to identify wild herbs. And I was about half of it. And the other half was also not by chance. At that point, I loved to just like walk in any direction, find a deer trail and follow it. I didn't even take a compass with me. I was so young and dumb and <laughs> I got really lost. You know? And I met this old man about, eh, I'll say old, but, you know, now that I'm in my 40s, it doesn't seem so old. He was maybe about 75. He had retired from the Park Service and he was German. And we're walking along and here I am like 15, 16, and he's outpacing me and he's talking the whole time. And he's telling me how he's never had a cold in his entire life. And they follow the old German folk medicine traditions. And of of course, I was fascinated. And so at that point, I began studying both the Appalachian herbal medicine, which is European and Native American combined. Rosie was half Cherokee and German folk medicine. And years later, I got into traditional Chinese medicine and that was cool and everything, but it really wasn't my tradition. And I eventually drifted away from that and back to to my tradition, basically. When we when we're talking with Judson Carroll, he's the host of Southern Appalachian Herbs. Uh, you can hear that on iHeart and anywhere you grab a podcast. One of the things that I was that struck me about uh, how you format your shows is that you're focused on 
things that are around us that that your listeners can actually tap into almost immediately. Uh, how prevalent are the things around us when it comes to being able to use it um, for not only um, herbal medicine, but for uh, edibles, um, for fermenting drink? And I want to get into the birch beer thing in a little bit because that really struck me. Um, um, but how abundant are the things around us that we can use? incredibly. And I do try to keep the show seasonal. I like for people to be able to go out that day and find what I'm talking about. And of course, it's not possible always, like if someone's in a different country listening to the show, but they'll find something very similar. Uh, there was a man named George Leonard Herter, who was my one of my absolute heroes. He had hers, Waseca, Sporting Goods. He wrote probably 20 books no one's ever heard of all about this subject, eating wild foods, finding wild foods, hunting, fishing, the whole bit. His quote was, people die not for lack of food, but for lack of knowledge. Of course, it's a you know a little altered Bible quote, but he is absolutely right. If you were to walk out, if you're in an urban area where there's a park, if you're in a suburban area and you've got a backyard, if you're like me and you live in the middle of the national forest, and you're going to find food, really even in the dead of winter. Um, For instance, depending on how far out you want to get and how expansive your tastes are, an entire pine tree is technically edible. And where can you go where you're not going to find a pine tree? That that sounds very Yule Gibbons. Yes, Yule Gibbons, another hero of mine. I think he's the one that actually said the entire pine tree was edible. Yeah, and that's actually where I got my birch beer recipe from. I've also got George Washington's birch beer recipe somewhere. I have to dig that out. I, I collect old cookbooks and uh, they're all scattered all over the place, you know? <laughs> no, when, you know, I, you talk about the, the Appalachian herbs, but you also get into herbs that are, that are prevalent in other parts of the country. Is it fair to say that, uh, um, that as you go forward with your, with your episodes and every episode is a, is a lesson, that's that's something that I, I found very, very appealing about uh, tuning into your podcast is that there's a little bit of history. There's a uh, there's a little bit of botany. There's um, some practical application. Um, there's always a message and it's always a really positive message. Um, we'll get it. We'll get into the message of of show 52 after the break. But um it's it's a well-rounded presentation that allows people to come away with not just a recipe or not just the ability to to identify a plant or a tree um, or a root, but a full well-rounded knowledge of what it is, why it's useful, what you can use it for, why it's good for you, um, this, that, and the other. So you it's called Appalachian herbs, but you really are touching on a broad spectrum of just about everything that's North American. Sure. Sure. And most of Europe. And, uh, well, there's never been a time since I've known about herbs when there was a condition where I couldn't walk outside and find two or three plants that were useful for it. So I think it's really important that people know their surroundings. I always say, First of all, I just identify the plants in your own backyard and you'll be amazed at what you find. I mean, people are going around digging up dandelions all the time and dandelions are one of the most healthy things we can eat or use. And you can make an excellent wine out of dandelion flowers, by the way. I love to ferment stuff. But um, as far as 
Beyond the Appalachians, absolutely. I mean, I, I do live in a unique region in North Carolina. We have just incredible biodiversity and I've lived in Georgia and Virginia and different places, but the plants that grow here really grow. Like I have some plants here, they say don't even grow in North Carolina. They grow, don't grow any further south in upstate New York, but here they are in my backyard, whether somebody brought them here or they made it here from because a bird dropped them or something. I do have just this incredible biodiversity in this region. I mean, I can go to the mountains, I can go down the sand hills, I can go to the hardwoods of the center of the state, I can be in the swamps, I can be at the coast. Just in a couple of hours, I can change like three or four different USDA hardiness zones and be in an entirely different environment. And where I live is actually just completely unique because it's a rainforest. I live in um, a temperate rainforest. We get 270 days of precipitation a year on average which is basically comparable to, I can't remember the name of the island off the coast of, I think it's Oregon or Washington state. So I have the access to more plants and mushrooms and all kinds of stuff than most people do. But also, yeah, I mean, I, I just took um, 200 and some hours worth of courses from the Southwestern School of Botanical Medicine. So if someone contacts me and they're living in the Southwest, I can usually give them some recommendations. If they're living in the Midwest, if they're living in Canada, I talk with people in Wales. I talk with people in New South Wales. I talk with, you know, all over the world in, in sort of my network of herbalists and permaculture people and preppers and crazy outdoorsmen. And uh, there is never going to be a time where if you know the plants, you can't walk out and find something edible, something medicinal, and or useful for other things. I mean, firewood, carving, cordage, you name it. I mean, the, there's the abundance of nature is absolutely unlimited. I want to give a, give the listeners just a little bit of a taste of what it would be like. And, and this is something that I, I found very um, informative and made me really want to try it um, in, in the episode that we're going to get into after the break. Um, in a completely different way, by the way, listener, um, birch beer, tell me about, about, uh, give me a, so, uh, like a summary of, of episode 52 when it came to birch beer, because it, it wasn't just about the beer. It was about a little bit of history too. And that, that made my eyebrow go up because I did not know that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, birch beer is just one of the many beverages our ancestors made, uh, you know, when they came to this country, they didn't know if the water was drinkable or not. And anywhere you had livestock and such or a little bit of community, the water may not have been drinkable. So our ancestors really lived off of uh, beers and wine. So they didn't always have to be high alcohol. But, um, you know, I, I think King Henry drank something like uh, four quarts of ale before breakfast. I mean, it was just, you know, <laughs> it was commonplace. And birch beer is unique because... You can tap it. You can tap the tree just like maple. You know, you can get uh, a, a sap that contains sugar out of it. Now, anything, all that's necessary to make any kind of fermented liquid is a liquid, sugar, and yeast. So birch, it was kind of unique because you could get all this water coming up out of the trunk that was full of sugar. And natural yeast, which were on the leaves and twigs, would immediately start to ferment the beer. You can make a maple beer. You can make all kinds of root beers out of sarsaparilla and and uh, uh, sassafras and all kinds of stuff. But birch beer was really, really popular in the early colonies because not only was it abundant, 
you can find birch just about everywhere. Um, it had its own sugar in it. And the twigs and leaves and really just the tip ends of the stem have a wintergreen-like oil in them, which was warming and pleasant and satisfy the thirst, but was also analgesic. It would reduce inflammation. It was good for arthritis. It would lower fevers. And so many of our ancestors were um, really plagued with malaria. Uh, Sir Walter Raleigh um, actually requested to be beheaded on a certain day because he knew when his malarial fever was coming back on. <laughs> so this beverage that would have been plentiful in just about anybody's backyard from really Florida clear up into Maine and, and well east of the uh, west of the Mississippi would have been uh, their aspirin, their beverage of choice on a hot summer day, their warming beverage on a cool evening. And in the words of Yule Gibbons, it kicks like a mule. So it was pretty <laughs> strong, too. Now, you had you had mentioned in the in the in that episode that. Uh, People in the Continental Army, actually, that was part of their pay. Right. Yes. And and in all uh, that whole era, uh, you had soldiers that were paid in beer, rum, even the um, you know, uh, Puritan preachers uh, uh, up in New England. Part of their salary was rum. You know, uh, it was just the the pub was the center of meeting. That's that's where America was founded. Uh, and if you ever watch that show, A Taste of History, Chef Walter Stave, he actually owns the old city tavern in Pennsylvania where the, the declaration was basically written. They argued things out and then they'd go do things, you know, in public in front of people. And yes, birch beer was uh, part of their pay and part of what kept them well enough to fight. We're talking with Judson Carroll. He is the host and uh, Grandmaster General of all things Southern Appalachian Herbs. You can hear it on iHeartRadio. We'll be right back after a message from our primary sponsor, the Emerald Coast Tea Company, right after this. Did you know that Yopon is the only tea plant indigenous to the United States? Hi, I'm CJ, the owner of Emerald Coast Tea Company. We have a line of Yopon teas and Yopon tea blends that will open your eyes to tea that is literally made in the USA. Check out our entire line of teas at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. Welcome back to Underground USA. Um, be sure to patronize our sponsors and patronize in a good way, not a bad way. We, we don't use the bad word when we talk about our sponsors in the, in, ever. We're talking uh, to Judson Carroll. He is the host of Southern Appalachian Herbs. It's a podcast. It's a, it's a blog. Um, he's also on Rumble on, under the heading of Herbal Medicine 101. He's got some, uh, he's got episodes over there and you can hear him on iHeart. That's where I listen to him. Judson, thanks for being here again. Not um, um, the thing that sparked me to reach out to ask you to come on to the podcast was this feeling that you made me and I'm sure all the listeners feel like we're not alone in the way that we look at what our country is going to face. If, if you're going to give Judson's show a podcast try, 
I urge our listeners to listen to show 52. And the reason I say that is because, uh, and I won't say that you fell on the sword because you didn't. I think you, I think you picked up the sword. Uh, Judson may have lost a good portion of his audience because he couldn't stay quiet about what our country is facing. And I was, I was stunned um, at, at the direct way that you described what our country is facing right now. If you wouldn't mind, I, I, I would say please recreate what you said, but I don't think that's possible because I could feel the emotion coming off of you when I was listening. But tell our listeners, explain what you said. I will try. I mean, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm a pretty laid back guy, but I do have the uh, the old Irish temper, you know. <laughs> um, I have tried my best to, I won't say avoid politics, but, you know, someone said to me one time, what I like about your show is you just talk about herbs. I don't want to be lectured about white supremacy when I want to learn about chamomile. And to me, that really is kind of what differentiates what I do from what so many other herbalists do, especially those who teach and write. They do tend to be very left of center and uh, they want to bring in a lot of politics and really false history, a lot of anti-American, anti-Christian viewpoints. And it hit me one day that I didn't learn that way. I learned from hardworking, conservative farmers and woodsmen and outdoorsmen. I mean, just really solid salt of the earth people who would not have wanted to listen to some of the people I've had to listen to <laughs> for even uh, five minutes. Uh, I mean, actually, you know, I mentioned the Southwestern School of Botanical Medicine. It was taught by a man named Michael Moore. He's not Michael Moore, the corpulent. Uh, communist filmmaker, but he was just as far left and a total atheist. And I had to sit through a lot of junk to listen to that, mm-hmm. but he had good information. And I thought, you know, I just want to present to normal people, herbal medicine as normal. And herbal medicine also has a vast Christian history. I mean, herbalist uh, monastic medicine, the Benedictines especially ran all the hospitals for well over 1500 years. Uh, and, you know, now everybody thinks it's all new age hippies and all that. You know, don't even get me started going down that road. <laughs> but it started coming to a head when I guess I don't even I don't know if it's because I said there is such a thing as antiviral herbs, which there are and they're well documented. I mean, right now you could probably go anywhere in this country and find some Oregon grape or a barberry bush. You pull that up, you make a tea of that root and it'll even kill MRSA. I mean, strong stuff. It's called berberin. It's what turns things yellow in the root. But I said that, and I also made fun of Dr. Fauci. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. To me, he looks a whole lot like yogurt on the movie Spaceballs. And all I can hear is merchandising, merchandising. That's where the real money is. Right. You question me, you question the science. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am not, <laughs> I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm not pro-vaccine. You know, I've said many times, my grandfather developed ALS after getting his first flu shot. I'm careful about vaccines. I don't use especially mRNA vaccines. So I said very basic common sense, like things like that. And I got kicked off of YouTube immediately for pulling my videos. And I said, forget it. I'm canceling my account going to Rumble. You know, a few months before that, in the beginning of this whole pandemic, if you want to call it that, 
really uh, one of the first first time I heard this thing had come from where it did in Wuhan, China, and that there was a uh, biological weapons facility there. I thought, well, what's the chance that was developed in the lab? And I said it on Facebook, and I hadn't. It had made five minutes. My account was locked. Yeah. Thousands of people were calling me a bigot, and when I had not said anything against Chinese people, I'm like, you know, I guess it's. Uh, trite or whatever to say I'm not a bigoted person, but you know, literally, I, I grew up in an area down toward the swamps of North Carolina where you got the Lumbee tribe, and white people are the minority. I mean, there are more blacks, there are more Lumbees than there are white people, and we grew up playing baseball together and and, and doing everything, and and it never even occurred to me that anyone ever would ever call me a bigot until I was on Facebook. So right. when I started doing the podcast, you know, I'm trying to be a little careful. I'm trying to appeal to everybody. And then Joe Biden said that about vaccines and your personal, what is it, Dan Bongino calls it, uh, body integrity or something, being a matter of freedom and derided those who actually believe in freedom and individual sovereignty, the things that my ancestors fought for in the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, I mean, throughout the world wars, Modern wars, I mean, it just, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to say something and, you know, I did and just let the chips fall, fall where they may. That's all there is to it. You know, and the thing that he was very, in in episode 52, uh, Judson was very, very forthright about the fact that he understood that he was probably going to lose a good portion of his audience because, um you know, the the popular conception of um, holistic medicine and, and herbology and, and everything else is that it does exist to the left of center predominantly. What I was incredibly pleased to deduce from this was that that's not the case. It's what they would like to portray, but there are just as many people who um, – want knowledge to live off the land, to be able to um, use things in their proximity, to be able to be independent in their, in, in some of their medicinal, um, medicinal uh, decisions on the right. And it's growing. Uh, you know, people talk about preppers and, and homesteaders and things like that, but the people on the, on the right who, who actually understand that we, we live under a compact that is, uh, that is, the constitution compact between government and the people and the, the government's created from the people um, that, uh, that we're in trouble and that we had better stop depending on others to do things for us. And we need to gather the knowledge to be able to be self-sufficient to a great extent. And, and I think that's what, that's what sparked me to reach out to you, Judson, was that you were honest enough to say, you know what, this is not a left-right thing. This is a survival thing. And yeah, as sure. the government tries to box us into being dependent on it for just about everything, the the way that we can say, I will not comply, is not making a placard and walking up and down the sidewalk in front of the White House. It's learning to be self-sufficient so that we starve the system. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's not even that far-fetched. I mean, we have so many disruptions in supply chain right now. The shelves are 
not bear. I just went grocery shopping earlier today, but I'm fortunate enough to be where there's a Piggly Wiggly. And Piggly Wiggly is about as different from a, a modern grocery store as anything you can imagine. It's as old fashioned as you get. And in there, you'll see old folks and black and white folks getting along just fine. And politics doesn't touch a place like that in a small town. And that's why I patronize a place like that. But what we see on television is the economy. I mean, you know, I, I was an economics major in college. That, that was, you know, I can be a numbers geek when it comes to money. You know, Biden's mandates could cause a significant percentage of the population to not only lose their jobs, but they're not going to be put on unemployment. They're going to be put on, you know, six years of unpaid leave or something. These people are going to lose their insurance. They're going to lose their income. They're not going to be able to just go to a doctor or be able to go to a pharmacy or order some, you know, prescriptions to be shipped to their house. And with the price of everything going up and their income locked in at a low area, you know, they're either living off their savings or they've had to find a job to work that probably wasn't, you know, what they were making before. People are going to have to learn to survive. I mean, so many parents now, and I think it's the best thing possible, are pulling their kids out of public school. And yeah, I mean, herbal medicine is essential for home remedies. I mean, that's kind of the way it was taught to me. It's home remedies. You got a cold, you don't go to a doctor, you go to the kitchen and, and, and make a tea. Uh, I, I don't understand for the life of me why people want their lives to revolve around a doctor's office and the checkups and the wellness visits and, you know, taking 500 uh, prescriptions when my great grandparents lived into their late 90s and like never went to the doctor. I mean, they had their babies at home. Uh, I mean, if they broke a leg and it was a compound fracture, yeah, they'd probably go to the doctor. If it was just a fracture, they wouldn't. Uh, I mean, they, till the end of their lives, they did not go to doctors. And I don't understand why it's necessary now, especially when you consider that medical error and malpractice are one of the leading causes of death in this country, especially <laughs> factoring in overprescription. I, I think, you know, I mean, my grandmother uh, died because a doctor, her doctor went out of town. The doctor covering for him prescribed her a drug that was contraindicated with what she was already on. She was poisoned to death by her doctor. You know, in my opinion, the very best thing we can do is take charge of our health, take charge of our food. I'm very big into, you know, growing as much as you can or inner networking with local farmers. But, you know, it's that, you know, I'm a huge NeuroWolf fan. NeuroWolf was just, you know, great for me. And there was he told a story that a lot of people probably heard in one of the books about Stalin. You know, Stalin takes a bird and plucks out every feather and then puts it in his hand and says, look, now it's grateful for the warmth of my hand. To me, that's the best <laughs> you know, way to look at how government makes us dependent. First of all, they take away our ability. They put us in schools where they don't teach logic or real history or the ability to reason or do math or even read. You know, I mean, yeah. a lot of times around here, 50% of the kids graduate functionally illiterate. And, and then, and, and without the ability to think critically. Exactly. No, no, yeah. You might question. The schools have, have completely abdicated the teaching of critical thinking. Yes. I call it being trained to be herded like cattle and slopped like hogs. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of a lot of things that people don't understand, too, and you, when you were talking about the medicinal purposes of, of the herbs that are all around us, is that traditional medicine, that's where it came from. 
Oh, yeah. 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 I've got medical dispensatories, which are what the doctors would use or pharmaceutical manuals from well up into the one I always turn to is King's Medical Dispensatory of uh, 1898. I believe is the date. You can find that online so you can you know double check what I'm saying. But well into the 1920s and even beyond all the medicines, except for those that were made from you know metals and minerals, were plant based. All of them. Your pharmacist would take these various tinctures and what they called percolations, which are very specific tinctures, and compound that medicine right there in the pharmacy. Uh, it all started changing, you know, really after the Nixon years when everybody um, really became <laughs> fodder for the pharmaceutical industry, thanks to, you know, employer supplied uh, insurance. And the pharmaceutical industry took over with all the patented pills, you know, same reason they don't want you to take ivermectin. Right. Right. Which 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 my girlfriend, CJ, had me take when I got COVID. Yeah. Okay. She, she said, you're going to take ivermectin. We're going to get some zinc into you. We're going to get some vitamin D into you. We're going to get some chicona bark. And she made a, a tincture out of chicona bark. And she said, this is how we're going to combat it. And I was over it in three days. Wow. You did better than I did. I didn't take ivermectin. I, uh, I didn't realize it was COVID because, uh, see, one of my best friends is uh, in the military and they had those that event over in Wuhan, China, and they all got it before anybody knew what it was. And I had it very early on and I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was the flu. And I'm thinking this is going to end at some point. This is going to end, you know, so I'm taking uh, over the counter uh, Mucinex. Basically, it was a, you know, a, a knockoff brand of Mucinex house brand, whatever. And I was getting through it, but um, it was just lingering too long. So I went out and got a poke root. Uh, you probably heard of poke salad. Uh, mm -hmm. that song poke salad annie i mean everybody's heard that <laughs> yeah. uh, i grew up eating poke grains they're just absolutely delicious now poke is slightly toxic in large amounts and it's especially so in the root but the root is a lymphatic cleanser and it's also what we call a diaphoretic which means it lowers fever it breaks a fever also had a uh, wild wintergreen um it's pipsicilla um, i got some of that that also has that diaphoretic fever breaking quality and I started using that and suddenly I just sweat and it was like I sweat the virus out, fever broke, felt fantastic the next day. Yeah, and that's and that's without any of these vaccines that are that were prematurely pushed, just just prematurely pushed before that yeah. before anything was done with them. And now we're seeing studies coming out that are saying um, th some of the side effects are are promoting the the debilitation of the of brain function yeah yeah and and as far as i'm concerned i mean any mr uh, mrna vaccine which most of these are i think there's one that isn't it can cause the very mutations that will cause another strain of this like you know they're talking about the delta variant and there's that what new variant i can't remember mu mu yeah um yeah, maybe they did develop naturally. I don't know. I haven't seen this in a, in, a, in a laboratory. Or maybe the virus mutated because of the very vaccine itself. Who knows? I mean, we don't I mean, know. I mean, that's – if for to the conspiratorial mind, that sends up red flags like you can't believe. You must be vaccinated. You, 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 you know, the money cycle that is behind this, if in fact they know 
that there's a possibility that this will create new strains and you're going to be on this vaccine for the rest of your life. There's going to be boosters. Mm -hmm. the, the conspiracy theorist would go, they did this on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the conspiracy theorist would. And uh, I probably have a lot of sympathy for that conspiracy theorist. Uh, I mean, we're, we live in a fascist form of government where um, business funds government and government mandates that we buy from those businesses. We have no competition. There are barriers to entry. Uh, I mean, having been a small business owner myself, I mean, I'll tell you just a real quick story. I cook old-fashioned Southern barbecue, the real stuff over Hickory Wood, and, I mean, the real deal. And I wanted to start a barbecue joint, and I'm not going to say the state or the county, but I call up the health department. I'm talking to the guy, and he's like, wow, this is great. We need this. I'm going to be eating with you all the time. But um, let me tell you, go ahead and set uh, $5,000 aside for so-and-so. And I said, why is that? He said, he's the code inspector. He said, if you don't pay him, he's going to come out there with a level. And if he finds one pebble in your parking lot, he's going to put you in violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm -hmm. And I said, but uh, OK, wait a minute. There's a tienda down the road that makes just awesome tamales. And uh, there's no health inspection on the wall. And I'm this is in an old gas station. I'm sure it has a passcode. And he said, yeah, we don't worry about them. They don't speak English. You know, if we tick them, they're just going to move to the next county. And besides, all their customers are illegals. <laughs> mm -hmm. The the bureaucracy, and, and I talk about this in depth in just about every interview that I do. Um, the bureaucracy has taken over what government was supposed to be. Government is, is tasked with two things, primarily. Um, and, and the listeners know that I believe this in my in my heart, uh, protecting our rights and protecting the homeland. Other than that, they shouldn't be doing anything. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we've gotten to the point where you do have to grease the the inspector. You do have to jump through so many hoops to be able to open a, a small restaurant or even a small business for that matter. Everything's got to be taxed and licensed and you're always paying the county, the state, the federal government, it's its not like it was 40, 30 years ago where you could start a business and realize profit the first year. You've got to be able to have enough bankroll to be able to last a couple years before you can actually see black. Exactly. I, you know, dude, when they started talking vaccine mandates, uh, one of my best friends lives in Ukraine. And I told her, I said, you know, I, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I can't do it. I've already had COVID and it's not necessary. And um, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to come visit you. And she said, I could have told you this was going to happen. We've lived through this before. You should have gotten here before the uh, shutdown because you're probably never going to make it here now. Yeah, it's the loss of freedom. Because we we comply because it's just easier to comply. The you're loss afraid. of freedom. Yeah, the loss of freedom that we have experienced during this event alone, and, and this is just the most overt event that we've had where, where freedoms are depreciated. You know, it's, see, it's mainstream jumped on it, mainstream media pushing it. You've, you've got uh, the politicians openly saying uh, you must at every level. This is just the most obvious usurpation of the freedoms that were guaranteed that we're experiencing. It really happens every single day. Sure. And, you know, that's, that's why I, I, I was really excited to have you on because gathering this knowledge 
of what you can do for yourself is going to become a critical survival tool in what's coming down the pike. Well, you know, I've heard before someone made the, 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 the comparison, you know, nowhere in the Constitution does it say that you need a hunting license. Nowhere in the Constitution does it need to say that you need a fishing license. You look at your state constitutions, you're probably not going to see that either, at least until, you know, all that legislation was built in later. But um, we are at a place where we no longer live in a free country. I call it a free-ish country. We're still free-ish. And while we are free-ish, learning those basic skills of being able to put food on your own table, being able to take care of your own minor ailments. I mean, look, you get a serious disease, go to the doctor. That's what they're trained for. You have a traumatic injury, like I said, a compound fracture. Go to the doctor. That's what they're trained for, and that's what they're good at. And if people would stop clogging up the emergency rooms with every little hangnail and sniffle, you could actually get there in time to have to be treated and healed. While it's a freeish country, we've got to learn those basic skills that our ancestors knew. If, if we don't do that, we're at the whims of every dictate. Uh, I mean, we're suddenly people are fighting over toilet paper again. Absolutely. I mean, it's I, I'm stunned in just the time that I've been on this earth and aware um, how much freedom we've lost. And at the end of episode 52, and again, I urge everybody to go over to um, the podcast on wherever you listen to it. I listen to it on iHeart. It's called Southern Appalachian Herbs uh, Show 52. At the end, you made such an impassioned plea to defend the freedoms that we have because right now the government is not in our corner. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not. I mean, Biden is awful, but I mean, as, as I thought Donald Trump was a fantastic president, uh, but look at the people that served under him. They didn't have our best interests in heart at heart. You know, I, <laughs> They were just as bad as the Obama people, and then a lot of them were holdovers from the Obama people. We have uh, a ruling class, and, you know, <laughs> it started when people started uh, allowing things like an income tax and, you know, regulation. Uh, what I'm worried about right now isn't even so much what the Congress is going to vote on, but what regulation is going to be passed that we don't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you, it, listener, if you thought, that people who were into holistics and herbology and all the things that have to do with herbs and, and tinctures and, and potions and everything else, if you thought that that was just the domain of the left, you have not met Judson Carroll. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and I hope that as we go down the road, I might be able to have a chat with you again when we when we come across critical things. Um, he is the host of Southern Appalachian Herbs. I listen to him on iHeart. Uh, on Rumble, you can see some of his, uh, his videos. Uh, that's under Herbal Medicine 101. His blog is southernappalachianherbs.blogspot.com. And he's got three books that I will recap when we come back after the break. Judson, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I hope we can do it again. Absolutely. You as well. Anytime. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. We'll be back right after this. Did you know? 
that Yopon is the only tea plant indigenous to the United States? Hi, I'm CJ, the owner of Emerald Coast Tea Company. We have a line of Yopon teas and Yopon tea blends that will open your eyes to tea that is literally made in the USA. Check out our entire line of teas at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. Be sure to check out Judson's podcast, Southern Appalachian Herbs, on iHeartRadio and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out his blog at southernappalachianherbs.blogspot.com and his video lessons at Rumble. Over there, he's under Herbal Medicine 101. His books can be found on Amazon by searching his name, Judson Carroll. That's J-U-D-S-O-N-C-A-R-R-O-L-L. As we navigate a very uncertain future for our country, with an abusive and overreaching federal government causing causing supply chain issues and mandating what I believe to be questionably dangerous vaccines for an all-but-finished pandemic, we all need to acquire the knowledge to provide ourselves with independence from a federal government that is truly not serving the overwhelming majority of the people. That independence needs to come in many forms, Learning how to sustain ourselves off things that are available to us in our immediate surroundings is a great first step. With the knowledge that Judson Carroll shares with us on his podcast, we can all learn how to use the plants in our immediate surroundings to facilitate everything from food sustenance to using herbs and roots to affect our well-being, thus achieving health independence from a greed-based fascist system that is increasingly using health care and the access to health care as a weapon to coerce the American people. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> 